All right, everyone, welcome back to the MTG Goldfish Podcast, episode 18. And we have Richard back, so what's up, Richard? Welcome back. Hey, guys, good to be back in civilization. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And we, as always, have Seth here. What's up, Seth? What's going on, guys? All right, so uh, as always, you can follow us at MTG Goldfish, at Bullet Snap Bull, and at Saffron Olive. Uh, The crew's back. You missed a lot, Richard. We... But we we held it up. We we did it. It was me and Seth. You missed a lot of legacy, so uh, we'll give you a chance to uh, talk about Joel Lissette and miracles. Uh, we uh, get into the the uh, agenda for today, and that is Modern Masters 2015 is finally fully spoiled. No unconfirmed lists. No you know craziness. Uh, and then we're going to talk about some uh, GP Paris because. That was an interesting event. But, um, Richard, just, you know, recap on what we were talking about. You know, we haven't had you, so uh, we'd love to hear from you. What um, what did you think last week uh, of just some of the stuff we talked about on cast and, uh, you know, some of the legacy stuff that you, we missed when in your absence? Well, I was actually in the woods and the canyons <laughs> of uh, Wyoming and Utah, so I don't know what was going on. I was actually seeing Aaron Mesa's and Cascade Bluffs in real life, but uh, <laughs> when you said Joel Lissette and Miracles, that was not a shocker. Joel Lissette is the best Miracles player, so the fact that Miracles is still good means uh, Joel Lissette will be uh, doing well in events all the time, so that's not a shocker to me at all. Yeah, uh, so <clears throat> just just to talk briefly about you know the legacy scene, so we see this a lot, the shift in like kind of the decks that are doing well and then kind of fade and then they start doing well again based on the metagame. Um, is Miracles, I mean, that's always going to be a staple in the format, right? And when someone like Joe sets piloting it, um, it's really a force in the, in the meta, right? Yeah, like, again, like, it has, it's the most 50-50-ish deck you can find. Um, the thing you notice about Legacy is, you know, decks will have good matchups and bad matchups. And so when you have more good matchups than bad matchups, your deck is like tier one and a legitimate contender. So Legacy is like one of the fairest, or sorry, Miracles is one of the fairest decks. So it really allows a player of higher skill to optimize their chance of winning. So that's why you see a lot of people pick it up. Um, you know, a lot of pros pick it up. But other people just pick it up because the pros are playing it and they don't play it as efficiently and then uh, they kind of suck at it. Um, so, you know, Miracles is always going to be around. It's the fair deck. Fair decks will always, you know, if you have Force of Will, um, you know, combine that with a top and your counterbalance, like that pretty much covers all bases, and whoever can outplay the other person is uh, is going to win. So that's why Miracles is such a popular deck. Yeah. Um, I, think you're, I think you're actually re-looking back over when we were talking about Portland, just for the listeners. <clears throat> You're making waves in Legacy, Richard. I don't know if you know this, but there was two Dead Guy Ales in the top eight. Two. Gatekeeper Malakir, yes or no? <laughs> One Gatekeeper Malakir in the main deck. Nice. So yeah. your Please. your sick tech is uh, catching on, like wildfire. <laughs> it's, a, it's a pretty old deck, and one thing about Legacy is people will bring back decks from the dead, and they will work. So you can go grab a legacy deck from like three years ago, and it has a legitimate chance of winning. So you see old archetypes pop up now and then. 
So that's that's why Legacy is an exciting format. You catch people off guard; they don't know what to do. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure you, Adam Brown, and Peter Cattell will be all in uh, <laughs> cahoots here soon, um, playing your really crazy. Not only just like a really like fringe deck to begin with in the format, but also these like weird deck choices that like no one sees coming. <laughs> so I guess like those two elements combined, and you can really like get some wins in there. I guess just all off the back of Stoneforge Mystic Emiliana. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, I guess when you're playing good cards in those colors, I mean you, you really have a shot. People have been dying to Stoneforge Mystic and Swords for a long time. <laughs> it doesn't really matter the color combinations. Yeah. Um. All right. So let's get to the to the main juicy part. The full spoiler, which you can see on the website, right, Richard? It's all up there. Yep. Um. So just initial reactions from the full spoiler. We'll we'll hear from you first, Seth. We haven't heard from you yet. Uh. Well, I'm a little disappointed, honestly. That's my that's my first reaction. Is I'm not extremely happy. Uh, yes, the set has a lot of the high-end cards everyone wanted, but after that, there's not a whole lot going on. Yeah. Um, you did write some, uh, some articles, and we're going to get to that in a minute. Uh, Richard, what are, what are your initial reactions? Uh, I'm impartial. I'm a bit disappointed. I don't, I don't play modern that much, but, you know, a modern master's draft is going to be expensive, so uh, as Seth covered in his article, since the high variance and, you know, the EV is not too great and there's such high variance, you can just walk away with absolutely nothing from a, you know, $35, $45 draft. Makes me a little gun shy to play Modern Masters 2015. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really like, when the fir- when the spoiler was first, release you know i was trying to be optimistic and you know i was looking through and there's there's some some stuff in there that's fine like they they downshifted some rarities to really uh be worth it like uh, eye of ugin notably eldrazi temple and and that's all good but i mean i keep looking back through it you know over and over again and there was just some really like i mean we got serum visions announced as an fnm promo that was just uh yesterday um you know, we we recording right now, but uh, on Tuesday they announced that. But I mean, first when I first saw that, I was like, "How can you not put Seren Visions in this?" I mean, that's that's just insane. And there's just a lot of really like glaring omissions from this set. I mean, I just I really question it. Now we'll go into your article in a second, Seth. So um, the the good thing about when they omit like really high profile cards, like I'm just going to use Goblin Guide for an example as, like, the one that really comes to the top of my head. Um, you could be sure that they're going to show up soon, but, I mean, a lot of these other ones, um, a little more inno- uh, innocuous ones, you know, it's harder to stick that, like, you know, just jam them into, like, a Magic Origins or even, like, the new block, Battle of Zendikar. I mean, where are you really going to put some of, you know, some of these cards that were really primed to be in modern a modern masters reprint set um so with that being said uh seth you wrote two very good articles on the website uh one you broke down the ev and one you gave like a really uh, an analysis on on winners and losers in the set so why don't you take us through that uh, a little bit for the listeners all right well as far as the ev goes 
the actual numbers aren't that bad. If you buy a box of Modern Masters, uh, say you pay $240, you can expect to open maybe $220 of value. So you lose a bit, but it's, it's not unreasonable. The real problem is this value, the value in the set is almost all at Mythic and maybe five actual like expensive rares. The rest of the cards are close to bulk. There's nothing really of value at Uncommon beyond Remand. There's no real expensive commons beyond Lightning Bolt. So if you go into a draft, like uh, probably 60 or 70% of the time, you're going to open $10 of value out of your three packs. And then the other 30 or 40%, actually probably a little less than that. It might be more like 80-20. But you're going to end up opening $40, $60, $100 in value if you hit the right mythic. So most of the time you lose, and then every once in a while you're the big winner. So there's a lot of risk involved to opening this set. Yeah, uh, so you... Uh, just to catch you there, uh, and it makes it even worse, is that, uh, I mean, Lightning Bolt's an uncommon, so there's really not really much at common to, to really be looking forward to. That is a good point. There really isn't. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're looking at Darksteel Citadel, Vines of Vastwood, Vapor Snag, uh, cards that are not very high in value. Yeah. Um, so... Go through a couple of the winners and losers for us real quick. Um, you know, you evaluated them well. I agreed uh, on a lot of these uh, because you're right. You evaluated it right. And, um, you know, just go through it for us. All right. Well, I mean, the basis of it is losers are cards that were downgraded in rarity. So we're looking at Apocalypse Hydra, which goes from a $10 Mythic to a $2 rare. We're looking at casual rares, which are going to get killed in price. This is Necro Skitter, uh, Creekwood Liege, uh, Sunforger. These are cards that are going to lose 50% of their value, most likely, based on what normally happens and what happened with the first Modern Masters. Um, and we're looking at, as far as winners, we're looking at cards like anything that's not reprinted, basically. Uh, Azusa, Lost But Seeking, Goblin Guide, which we mentioned, Blood Moon, even Mind Sensor, anything that didn't show up in the set and isn't likely to show up uh, in the next six months or so is going to increase in price, and in a lot of cases already has. Yeah, I think you got all of that right. Um, <clears throat> looking back through and what trended with Modern Masters, this is this is probably what's going to happen this time around is the cards that get shifted in rarity, you know, they, those prices just pretty much get obliterated. Um, you know, um, the, the casual stuff usually gets obliterated too. I mean, any kind of demand for horde of notions, I think is going to be quelled now. Uh, and that really probably didn't have a lot of demand and begin to begin with. Um, Richard, do you, do you agree with what Seth has written in these articles? What, what, what's your take on that? Well, my, I definitely agree with it. That's why it's on the site. Um, but... <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> You know, at the end of the day, for me, someone who's not concerned about the actual modern format, like, when I open my modern cards, I'm just going to get rid of them and trade them in for something. The right. high variance is what gets to me. It's it's quite an investment to play, you know, in a Modern Masters 2015 draft. It's not, you know, a $10 draft where, you know, if you just come away with nothing, you know, who cares? That's just, like, you know, uh, you know small entertainment. You know, when you're talking about 
$30, $40, $75 at the GP. Um, you know, it, it's quite an investment and it, it's just going to suck if you open nothing. Right. So I, I think the feel bad that you get from that is going to be significant because most people will get that feeling. Right. The one guy that opens a foil goif would be, you know, running around, but <laughs> he's the exception. Everyone else is going to feel bad. And, you know, when I play magic, I don't want to feel bad. So, uh, you know, we'll see how it turns out. But, you know, I, I would rather them, you know, not print, you know, these super expensive mythics and rares or, you know, tone those down and kind of fill up the bottom. You know, a lot of good, uh, you know, cheaper rares and, and commons and uncommons to kind of fill out the value and, and keep the same EV. Yeah, Richard, you're absolutely right. And Seth, we we talked, you know, we've had Twitter conversations with some people and you know, I think we've been hearing this over and over and actually this showed up a lot on your your comments too uh on the on the articles themselves. I mean, it's it's really hard to justify, you know, 35-40, you mentioned this Richard, uh for a draft and you just walk away with nothing uh rather than you know, you kind of you're still playing that lotto a little bit, like when you're when you're drafting a regular set like Cons of Tarkir or Dragons of Tarkir, and you you pay fifteen dollars. It's a little you can stomach not opening like anything, a little easier when you're paying you know basically half the price, um, uh, sometimes more. I mean, some stores are going to charge forty, some stores stores are going to charge thirty five. Um, but yeah, it's just the feel bads are probably going to be really bad, and uh, it's just going to suck. It's really going to suck. What do you think of uh, all the people that have commented or said something on Twitter to you, Seth, about canceling, you know, pre-orders based on not only just your EV article, but I guess just the the kind of angst to this whole spoiler. Well, I think part of the problem here is the way the set was spoiled. Like, part of this was unintentional because we got that leak, like, two weeks ago with a bunch of, like, $50 Mythics, and everyone looked at that and said, wow, we got to buy this box. There's no way I can lose. Look at all that value. And then the the actual week of spoilers started off with a lot of high-end cards, too. Noble High Art, Cryptic Command. And then by about halfway through the week, and especially at the last day of spoilers, we just got dumped with a ton of bulk rares and there was this knee jerk reaction by everyone that was just like, Oh my God, I can't believe I just spent $250 on this and I'm going to be opening ant queen. I'm an horde of notion. <laughs> uh, so I think, yeah. I think that plays into it. Uh, yeah. So, and to go back to what you said before, the difference between this and the original modern masters with the original modern masters, when you sit down to a draft because of all the value at the lower rarities, the value of your pack had a solid floor. Every pack you open, like odds are in favor of you hitting a valuable common or uncommon worth two or three bucks. And every pack, the odds are in favor of you opening a rare that's at least three bucks. So you're basically getting your money back every pack on average. And every once in a while, you hit the lotto. With this pack, you open nothing most of the time and every once in a while hit the lotto. So the bad beats are going to come hot and heavy. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, while... You can say the MSRP was lower on mo the first Modern Masters this time around. Um, they, or last time around, rather, they were still technically being sold at like the $10 range, right? Because of some of the uh, price gouging that was going on. But even, you make a great point, like, 
And even on your articles, there's just nothing to catch, you know, some of this value, even in the common and uncommon area. And you're opening a $10 pack again this time around, and you're getting like a dollar rare, and you just have to hope that you get the remand. And like you said, you get what, maybe one remand a box? Yeah, slightly less than one remand per box on average. So, I mean, you open up a, a horde of notions or a mirror entity, and you just, you're just hoping you get a, a, a remand to just try and, you know, get some of that value back. Yeah, there's not much else to save you. There's no safety net with this set. You're either the, you win the lotto or you're completely broke. There's no in-between. Yeah, um, we're going to go back into more little financial talk, but I wanted to pose this question to both of you, and you both bring two different viewpoints to this, and I think it's good to have you guys talk about it on cast. So do you think Modern Masters 2015 will be successful? And the way I define successful is I think, so this is my definition, is the set was in an, in its inception was to reprint modern, you know, lower the overall barrier of the format and really generate interest in the format and put the cards into the player's hands. So do you think it'll be successful, Richard? Um, it's a hard question to answer. I, I don't know. Like, as someone who doesn't play modern, I am not suddenly motivated or interested to play modern just because Modern Masters 2015 came out. I'm right. interested in playing it as a limited format just to see, hey, you know, I, I'll kind of want to play with, you know, a Noble Hierarch and limited, you know, if I'm lucky enough to open one. But, <laughs> I, I, you know, if I open a single card, I am still like $500 away from a deck. So it's not like I'm going to be spurred to play modern, right? So I, I don't know that it will grow modern. Like typically when certain cards go down in value, the cards that weren't reprinted will go up, and the price overall will kind of remain the same. So I, I feel like the Fetchland reprint has a bigger impact on modern playability than, say, Modern Masters 2015. But, you know, I'm not sure. That's just my gut feeling. But personally, I'm not any more interested in playing modern, you know, unless new decks come out because of this, like the supply of cards somehow brings new archetypes into the fray. Like, I don't see that happening, but... Modern is still modern with, with the release of Modern 2015, so I don't see any difference. Yeah, you make a lot of great points, and I'm going to follow up with this question too. Um, what could have been done better? Like, you don't play Modern. What would have they had to do to make you want to play Modern? I think they need to push the format, like more Pro Tours or more high-end events or something, or maybe shift it around a bit, you know, with their bands and their unbandings to open the format, you know, introduce new cards. Like, we talked about this before, like maybe some kind of Wasteland-like card or a Daze-like card or Force of Will that's, you know, actually suitable for modern. Like, I, I'm not sure, but it has yeah. to be something with constructed modern, right, rather than limited cards being added to the supply pool, right? Very good. Um, Seth, same same questions. Well, I have a hard time seeing how the set can generate too much hype for Modern because there's only a handful of Modern playables in the set. Like, yeah, I guess, like, you get Splinter Twin, you get some sideboard cards, like Fulminator Mage, but most of the set isn't Modern playable. Like, that's the part that bothers me is something like Ant Queen 
could be Obstinate Bayloth, which isn't a modern staple, but it's playable. And the set actually feels like uh, a push into the modern format. If this way, sure, like, yeah, Tron will get a little cheaper because you'll have cheaper Karns. Um, Emerkel decks, I guess, like uh, Goro's Vengeance or whatever, those will get a bit cheaper because you got cheaper Emerkels. But on, on a broader level, it's not like this is just a huge influx of modern staples, which is what Modern Masters, uh, the original, actually was with Path and Helix and all of these cards that were actually playable in the format. Yeah. Um, and to the second question, the first time around, there was a sudden surge, like, in Modern, and people all of a sudden started flooding, you know, in to play Modern because of the first set. Do you think, you know, in terms of a price, do you think it'll be successful in, you know, without that second kind of surge into Modern? I mean, there's probably a lot of people like Richard out there, and not to, like, make it a joke, but it's true, like, there, there's not really a lot of incentive to all of a sudden play modern, even just with this set. So without that second, like, kind of huge surge into modern, do you think, you know, this kind of product will be around readily available for people to crack for, you know, six months? Well, I think for me that comes down to the limited format. If the limited format is awesome, the supply is still limited. Like, stores aren't getting that many cases, and if people just love to play limited – and people are willing to pay 35 bucks a pop to play it, I think it'll sell out just based on that alone. If the limited format isn't great, then I think there's a real possibility that we still have boxes on the shelves come Christmas. Right. Um, did either of you play Conspiracy, like the limited format? No. Nope. All right. So what I heard the general consensus about Conspiracy is, oh, uh, to follow up that question, Sorry, did either of you play Modern Masters 1? Yes, I played a ton of Modern Masters 1. I played, like, oh, okay. a single draft. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I played a single draft. Opened up a Sword of Fire and Ice, and, like, I was cool with it, I guess. <laughs> um, <laughs> and some real crap. Um, so do you think, like, I mean, is is the draft format that good, or is it, like, akin to Conspiracy where... Eh, you play it a few times, and then it kind of gets old. Especially at, like, $35 a pop. Well, the original Modern Masters, in my opinion, was an excellent draft format. I, For me, it's one of the top probably five draft formats of all time. Like, it was that good. Just looking over this set, I have a hard time judging it without actually playing the cards, but I tend to think it's going to be a little bit worse than the original just as far as the draft it's not as high-powered, and the archetypes aren't as interesting to me. Right. So you think, I mean, at $35 a pat, or, uh, you know, or 40 a draft, I mean, I just don't feel like people are just going to keep coming back for a draft, especially if your initial reaction is it's not going to be as good. I mean, it'll be good, but, I mean, how good it could it be to really keep people coming back? Yeah, like... Even if it's the best format of all time, say it's, I don't know, <laughs> pick your favorite format, Innistrad, Konzatark, or whatever, you know, how many $40 drafts are you willing to play? <laughs> right, exactly. Right? And given the fact that you may open nothing in your $40 drafts, you know, how likely are you going to continue playing? So that's why I'm a little bit antsy on this. Like the average player will play one, two drafts, if anything, right? I don't see someone sitting there grinding 10 out unless they're actually set. 
right? Like, <laughs> it, it takes a certain type of person to really, you know, love Limited so much that, you know, they they just, like, burn all this money to play, right? Yeah, and I don't care, like, how much you love Limited. I mean, how many overwhelming stampedes and, like, inoxorable tides can you open and, like, start to really say, like, wow, this sucks. This is shit. <laughs> and the other thing is you're you're kind of forced to take the money cards, right? Like, right, yeah. If you're drafting a sweet deck and a goyf comes, you got to take goyf, which then kind of hinders from your limited experience. If the value were more even, you wouldn't necessarily go for the money cards, right? I'm taking the goyf no matter what. Yeah, everyone <laughs> would, I think, right? I think that's everyone, especially even at the GP. I mean, I don't – I mean, there's not many people – I mean – I would have to assume even some pros would be like, you know, uh, I think I could take this one pick, you know, and I'll make do with it, you know? I just, I mean, that's just me. I mean, we're all human beings in the end, and, like, you open up that goif, and it's, you really want to pass it to the next person, man? I don't know. I wouldn't. So that's you have to sure. open a foil goif and a regular goif. <laughs> you I would take the leave, foil. I would, I would. I would leave the event. <laughs> is that, I was is that kosher up. how we determine that so if you're at Grand Prix Las Vegas and you open a foil goif while you're registering decks can you just walk up and leave is that kosher I, I think there's some sort of like punishment like you get I don't know I, I don't know the logistics of that but I'm pretty sure you get a little bit of a punishment if you just straight up leave I think you can drop I think you can drop at any time yeah, okay well, but once you sit you down get to and keep start... the cards, or like the police yeah. are gonna come after you. Nah, police are gonna come after you. I mean, the most you'll get is maybe like a warning or some sort of maybe I don't know a month suspension. I don't know, maybe. I mean, I'd, I would just be like, sure, whatever. So we'll, we'll need on the floor reporting of how many people just randomly leave <laughs> during the uh, deck registration of GP Vegas. Yeah, if I sat down, I, I don't care if I'm sitting across Brian Kibler, Lewis Scott Vargas, and all of them. If I if I sat down and opened up a foil goyf, I'd be like, yo, waiter, fellas. <laughs> <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> I don't care. I'm I'm just out of here. All right, so any kind of final thoughts on, on Modern Masters 2015? My final thoughts are this. Um, I think, and to answer my own question, I, I have to put my faith in the Wizards of the Coast in building this set, and I think they built this set like this for a reason. Um, I think it's going to be successful in that it's going to get into the hands of more players, and there's not going to be a lot of this price gouging and hoarding going on right off the bat. Um, from what is being reported, and again, this is not something that's confirmed, this is just what I've been hearing, is that there's going to be an overabundance of this product in the beginning, and then that'll be it. There's not like these like multiple uh, distribution waves where you know you could just keep ordering cases. Uh, but the supply will be very high from the get go. And I mean, I can't really see these. I could. I can't see them moving so quickly that you know they're going to be suddenly scarce in like two months. I mean, I think these will be readily available uh, for quite some time. And I think that actually will be good in terms of driving down some of the prices because the packs will be readily available to open, um, you know, as players want them. Uh, what do you think, Seth? Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, the prices really can't go up too much uh, because if prices increase, then you're getting to the point where you got the positive EV and people just go buy out the boxes. 
So I think that I think that you're dead on. That'll be around for a bit. And if you want to get a box, you'll be able to get one for MSRP, which is actually pretty refreshing after the last go around where you had to pay such an extreme uh, markup to get a box if you wanted one. And then sometimes you still couldn't get one just because there weren't any available. Right, yeah. I mean, at this point in the game, uh, I mean, boxes were literally not even – you couldn't even find boxes like under $250. So, And that was the first time around. Uh, I think these will be steadily going – at MSRP. I mean, a lot of people even canceled, so that adds more right back into the pool. And um, I think Richard touched on this a lot. I mean, it's going to really have to be like an amazing, amazing limited format to really keep people coming back. And even then, it's like, how many times can you spend $40 on a on a draft? Um, what do you think, Richard? Is uh, Do you think this you know, the way they constructed this set and, you know, in addition to the supply, do you think this will be around, um, you know, come six months from now? Do you think uh, it will be successful in just lowering the prices across the board? So I I don't know. No one knows the actual distribution numbers aside from Wizards. Um, But I think the key difference between this and the original Modern Masters set was – the original Modern Master set um, was Wizards' kind of show of confidence in Modern, right? Before then, people didn't know if this format was going to stick around, if it was going to go away. So with the introduction of Modern Masters, the original, people were like, oh, you know, Wizards is actually invested in this format. And then you got the big surge of interest, right? And, you know, in addition to the increased supply. This time around, it's just the increased supply. So we're, we're missing that vote of confidence. So I don't know how this will actually affect, you know, will the player base grow? I don't know. I My gut feeling says no, but, you know, or it'll be very marginal. So I, I don't know how it's going to play out, but this time it's just a pure supply pump. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. And it's like, like Seth mentioned, it's all concentrated in the mythics and rares uh, in terms of value. So we'll see what that does for the player base and for, you know, modern as a format as a whole. This could be the injection it needs to kind of, be the Golden Boy Eternal format, um, which Wizards is trying to push it to be, or it could just kind of just stay as is and keep going along. Uh, only time will will tell us. Yeah. Um, last, actually, final question, um, and I'll pose it to you first, Seth, and then you can chime in, uh, Richard. Um, what was really surprising to you that they omitted from this set, and why? And do you think? Um, they will show up soon. Uh, well, I mean, the most surprising thing to me was Goblin Guide. I figured that was a given. There's even an aggressive red archetype with um, Bloodthirst where it would fit in naturally uh, for Limited. So I have no idea why that didn't show up. I tend to think, I don't know if that card can come back to standard. Like, isn't Goblin Guide just too good? If you look at look at what we have right now for the mono red deck, like could that really show up in Battle for Zendikar? So to me, that was the most shocking one. Serum Visions was there too, but that situation, as you mentioned before, was quickly resolved when it was spoiled as the F and M promo. Yeah, the that F and M promo. I don't <laughs> I don't know what's going on with that one. <laughs> I have no idea. Um, Richard, same to you. What was the most glaring omission uh, to you? Yeah, for- and um. 
for me it was serum visions but that's obviously been rectified it's such an expensive card for what it does um it'll be interesting to see what the uh, fnm promo does i i think i was talking to seth about this i think we'll we'll try to figure out how many stores there are in the u.s to see what the supply of these things would be to see you know try to guess what the impact of it will be um but you know other than that i'm not actually surprised at any omission you know there will be a Modern Masters 2017, 2019, whatever. They can't print every single modern card in existence today. So they're going to have to omit things like just like the original Modern Masters where they omitted Noble Hierarch. Um, you know, they're going to have to omit some key cards this time around to save it for a future Modern Masters or for some supplemental products. But, uh, the thing that Wizards has shown us here is they're willing to reprint all the cards. So if it doesn't show up here, it'll show up in the future somewhere. And we just kind of have to wait for it. Yeah. All right. So that uh that wraps up our Modern Masters 2015 talk. I, so, I actually have a question for oh, you guys. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Do you think this Modern Masters 2015, you know, event slash release will spill over in terms of financial impact to other formats like Legacy, Standard, Commander, etc.? Because the last time we had a big modern thing. Um, you know, when fetch lands were going crazy, what we ended up seeing was a lot of people sold all their fetch lands and bought dual lands, and then dual lands spiked like crazy during that period of time. So do you think, you know, Modern Masters 2015 will have an impact financially in other formats? Whew, that's a good question. Um, I'll let you field it first, Seth. Oh, <laughs> thanks, Chaz. <laughs> um... I mean, obviously it'll have an impact for the cards that are reprinted, that are playable in those formats, thinking of something like Emrakul. Um, I, I think the thing with the fetch lands was, right, that the prices of the fetch lands kept increasing so much that you basically got to the point where you could trade your fetch lands for dual lands, and that caused the prices to spike. Uh, I, I have a hard time seeing how modern masters would be able to make that happen so i guess uh off the top of my head i guess that's my best answer that uh, probably not other than the cards that are reprinted that are for those formats yeah so this is going to be i'm going to try to answer this as best i can so i think there will be financial ripples in other formats like you said richard the first time around people were i mean the the fetch lands were growing at such a rate that it's like I mean, what am I doing with these fetches? I could just have dual lands. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of people... Now, judging uh, the severity of how many cards drop in price, I think people are going to start jumping off this roller coaster. I mean, me included. I mean, how much longer can you hold a Tarmogoyf when it's just going to keep reprinted in Modern Masters 2017, 2019, or whatever... I mean, wouldn't it just be better just to get rid of them, get off this roller coaster, and invest into stable, uh, high-end legacy cards and just play legacy where you can? I mean, Star City Games is still supporting it. Uh, it's still a somewhat popular format. I'll bet not, you know, as popular as it once was. But, you know, as as these cards just keep getting reprinted and reprinted and reprinted, I think people are just going to straight up get out of them and go somewhere more stable 
and that the next best place is Legacy, and then I guess Vintage. Um, but yeah, I think this will over time start slowly increasing the staples of Legacy because I mean they're never going to get reprinted. The dual lands are on the reserve list. Um, they're not as inclined to reprint legacy cards because they're so focused on pushing modern. Um, and I think, yeah, I think overall, it may not be right away, but I think over time uh, there will be financial implications uh, and ripple effects into the other formats. So, I mean, dual lands, I mean, get them while you can. <laughs> because, I mean, there's really no ceiling on those. So, that's the... I guess it's good to play Legacy, right, Richard? It's always good to play Legacy, my friend. <laughs> we, we we need to show you the, the dark ways. Yeah. Wasteland I mean, Force of Will, man. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I mean, you still got Deathrite Shaman, man. You play green, I, I wish... so you may not like <laughs> you may not like Legacy, but if anyone <laughs> plays blue <laughs> in standard or modern, they'll love blue in Legacy. <laughs> well, there's no like, viable green decks in... There are, but, but the fun cards are non-green, you know. You, you <laughs> want to force the will days wasteland people. You want to end the game with a clean sweep where they have no permanence in play. Right? Like, yeah. that's, that's the best kind of game. <laughs> yeah, you're you're definitely right. No, yeah, I mean, it's just nice because, I mean, sooner or later, like I said, they're just going to keep reprinting it. You never have to worry about a Legacy Masters, you know? And, you know, at... After a while, you're just going to start pulling your hair out of your head because it's like, oh, I better not buy X card because it's going to get reprinted in the Modern Masters, you know, 20-whatever. Um, and that could start becoming an issue, too. So they might stagger it. I don't know. There's a lot of question marks up in the air. But, I mean, I think for certain is um, their commitment to the Modern Masters uh, brand, like the Modern Masters set coming out X, you know, intervals to just keep people interested. I mean, um, I think the thing that has to change is people's expectations. Like, right. we talk of modern like it's an eternal format, but with this conversation that I've been listening to, it's really more like standard. Like, you can build your deck, your deck's going to be valuable and valid for six months or a year or 18 months, and then your deck's going to lose its value because it rotates. That's basically what goes on in Modern, except it happens with reprintings instead of rotation. Yeah, that and bannings. And I mean. bannings, yep. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you built your pod deck and you're good to go. You're playing it for a year and, oh, pod's banned, so now you can't play pod. Oh, you're playing Tron? Well, they're just going to keep reprinting all the Tron pieces, and the overall value of the deck is going to go down. So I think that was a great parallel to make. And that modern is kind of like super standard. You know, it doesn't rotate, but it kind of rotates with these reprintings. Yeah. That was actually, yeah, that was a really good uh, point. Yeah. Thank you. I like that. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, it was good. I I, uh, I didn't really, I guess that makes sense. And uh, hopefully, you know, with each reprinting, the cards don't magically go up. So, uh, you know. Contrary to popular opinion. <laughs> I mean, I, I think this set will be, like, a great thing, you know, if stores still have them in stock, which I think they will, um, going for the, you know, normal rate. I mean, this seems like another great thing to put on sale, and more people just start buying boxes, and more supply just keeps going out there. Um, so I, I think overall it'll be successful, 
Maybe not every single mythic and rare, you know, drops immensely, but I think enough of them will. You know, some of the third-time returners, I mean, there's no way they could just keep holding the price, like the click, the command, um, stuff like that. Yeah. All right, so that wraps up uh, Modern Masters 2015. That was a, that was a good talk, and gr- great question, Richard. That was that was really good. Um, so let's talk about GP Paris. So that happened, and then uh, we haven't done trending in a while, uh, Seth. So let's do let's let's try to fit trending in there real quick. Okay. Okay. Yep. Um. So GP Paris. And I was getting updates, actually, from Patrick Dickman, so that was good. Uh, he was doing well for the most part, and that was good to see. Um, great dude. I like talking to the, to the guy. Um, he went with a really interesting deck. But to break down the top eight, so break it down for us, Seth. Uh, all right, so we have three Abzan decks, two aggro and one control. Uh, we have two mono red decks. We have a white-black-green kind of Death Mist Raptor um, Den Protector build. We have a red-green Devotion deck and a white-green kind of aggro Den Protector uh, Death Mist Raptor build. Yeah, so what was the big headline from this uh, event is that Collected Company is a real card. Yeah, we said that last week, too, and this week just uh, proves it once again that, that Collective Company is actually good. Yeah, it's it's very good. I'm starting to see a lot more hidden Dragon Slayer, and I mean that guy is going to start doing some big work in Standard. I mean, when people are playing all sorts of dragons and stuff like that, he just seems like a shoe in. Well, and it's such natural synergy with the Death Mist Raptor package, which is right, everywhere. Right. So I think I think you're right. It does deal with some problematic cards, and it fits naturally in these archetypes. Yeah. Uh, what do you think, Richard? I mean, Death Mist Raptor and Den Protector are like the one-two punch of standard right now. Yeah, but we knew that. <laughs> what's, what's interesting <laughs> yeah. to me is uh, Seth's favorite card here, awarded in the first tree, showing up in several lists. It, yeah. Uh, only has a two of though, so so people like it, but not not too much. You know, they just want to draw. More. <laughs> they're not they're not super into it like Seth yet, but they, I think they will soon. Yeah, but, you know, at the end of the day, hey, guys, Thoughtseize is still a great card. Siege Rhino is still a good card. You yeah. Know, the, these cards keep showing up, um, so it's not too surprising. Uh, but, you know, War of the First Tree is a nice little aggro addition there. Same with Rakshasa, Death Dealer. Um, so uh, it's interesting to see how Abzan has kind of evolved over time here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, any kind of... Um analysis you want to throw at us, Seth? I, I just wanted to mention, too, the other big takeaway from these Abzan decks, and I noticed this last night watching the Standard Super League, is that Wingmate Rock is actually back in the picture. Like, this card exploded when it first came out, fell off the map completely, and now it's basically always a two-of, and some decks are playing a complete, a total four of them between the main deck and the sideboard, so Wingmate Rock is heading back on top. And that, I think, is like, uh, from a financial perspective, at all-time lows, right? I believe it is, yes. So that might be a card to target for rotation. So I think, uh, the only my only question is, how does this match up against dragons? Like, yeah, Wingmate Rock is great, but do you really, is that where you want to be with a 3-4 flyer or two of them against 
uh, Slumgar or Ojitai? Yeah, it kind of looks uh, inadequate in the face of Ojitai. I mean, it's not as bad against, like, a Slumgar. I mean, unless they steal it, which would really suck, but, um, I mean, because it's still, it won't die when it blocks it. Oh, no, it will. It has Death Touch, doesn't it? But it's just, I mean, the aggro Abzan is starting to look like, it's got more aggro cards because it's adding Warden of the First Tree, but it also has more mid-range cards because it's playing Wingmate Rock. So it's just a really uh, unique take on the deck, I guess, and this is becoming kind of the normal build at the moment, I think, thanks to Brad Nelson. Yeah. Yeah, I, I wouldn't uh, call the Abzan deck an aggro deck. It's, it's still yeah. a mid-range deck, but it, it leans towards aggro as opposed to the other build, which leans towards control. Um, you know, obviously, Mono Red or something is much faster and more aggro-y. You know, when you have Siege Rhinos, you're a mid-range deck. So it's just leaning more towards the aggro side. <sighs> Dragon King Lord of- Ojutai, man. Speaking of Siege Rhino, did either of you guys see the modern deck from Magic League that was playing four Siege Rhinos, four Easter Vials, and four Splinter Twins? <laughs> and a Kiki-Jiki, right? And the Kiki-Jiki, Resto in there, just everything. Five-color Rhino Twin. <laughs> Jeez, I, I have no idea what's going on. This reminds me of the glory days of Thrag Tusk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How many times can you just blink Thrag Tusk, you know? At least, I mean, Rhino's a little more tame than uh, Thrag Tusk, yeah. but damn. <laughs> At least I mean, Rhino's three colors. <laughs> thrag Tusk was splashed in everything. Oh my god, <laughs> it was awful. Beat, put some Thrag Tusk in there, we're good. <laughs> and you got a 3-3 three, three and 5, oh, it was so much. It was, it was awful. It was it great. Was really I awesome. love Thrag Tusk. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, so I much value. You. So much value. I bet you do. <laughs> I, I bet you I bet you, you would play Thrag Tusk in, in Legacy. I would. There are decks that play Thrag Tusk, but he's a bit it's underwhelming, crazy. but it's such value. Um, there was a really, actually a very interesting collected company list. It was like four color, like uh, Savage Knuckleblade and Mantis Rider. That was really interesting. And two Ojutai's commands. I mean, I don't know what's going on there, but um, he, he had 14 spells and 22 creatures, which I think is like, from what I remember the numbers, is like the minimal amount of creatures you can play to have Collected Company be like viable. Yeah, I think that puts you at around like 78 or 80% to hit two creatures if you're running 22 or 23 creatures in your deck. Yeah, which is like... I mean, there's a lot of other creatures you could probably find in those three colors to not play, like, an Ojutai's Command. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it was interesting. I mean, I I questioned some of the card choices, but, hey, he got 11th place at the Grand Prix, so I guess it was working for him. Johan, uh, Dudon, yeah. (laughs) Dudonan. Yeah, it's, that's... That's not happening. <laughs> we, we we apologize for butchering your name, Johan. I'm so I'm so sorry, Johan, if you're listening to this. I am so sorry, Johan but D. That's that's what we'll call Johan. It. D., yeah, but you did well, man. That was that's a really interesting deck. Um, so any anything else to add? Do we want to do trending real quick before we wrap things up? Yeah, we can jump in trending real quick. All right, let's do it. So let's do the weekly. We haven't done it in a while. Um. 
So for standard, we got Collected Company, Deathmiss Raptor, Den Protector, Mana Confluence, Thought Seas, Eidolon of the Great Revel, Polluted Delta, Hornet's Nest, uh, Wooded Foothills, Temple of Enlightenment, and on the loser's side, we have Narset, Dragonlord Ojutai, Ugin, Dragonlord Atarka, Sarkan, Unbroken, Ashiok, Whispered Wood, Elemental, Shaman of the Great Hunt, Bramaz, Battlefield Forge. Um, so for modern, um, increases on, so for the weekly, Fulminator Mage, Bitter Blossom, Ink Moth Nexus, Blood Moon, Mox Opal, Blood Moon, Daybreak Coronet, Goblin Guide, Sword of Fire and Ice, Pact Negation, Losers, Tarmogoyf, Confidant, Cryptic, Wiltleave, Click, Vendillion Click, Noble Hierarch, uh, Fulminator, Leyline, and Daybreak. Alright, so there's some, like, addition things going on. Um, is that, is that right, Richard? Is, is there, like, some sort of... No, I, I think what you're seeing is uh, some of the pre-order prices. So the Fulminator Mage that went up right, in value okay. is the pre-order okay. price for uh, Modern Masters 2015. And then right. the one that went down is like the actual original one. Got it. So okay. initially people listed their listings slightly lower, and then they decided to bump up their prices for their for the pre-orders. Yeah. Um, reactions, Seth? Uh, well, I mean, for Modern, basically, if it's being reprinted in Modern Masters, it's dropping. If it's not being reprinted, it's rising. It's a, I mean, you can pretty much sum it up in that sentence. Yeah. Um, what's actually interesting is I saw a couple of stores starting to open up pre-orders on singles, and they're basically just slapping the old price on the new Modern Masters 2 cards. So what do you think about that? Uh, that's, so they're, uh, that's kind of befuddling. Um, yeah. So they're pricing their Tarmogoyfs at like the old Tarmogoyf one, price, one, like like the one seventy five. Well, price. I mean, I guess uh, it's pre order periods. You might as well give it a shot. I guess it's not like they even have the cards in their inventory yet. So if no one buys them, I'm sure these prices will start to drop once uh, the set actually comes out. Yeah, I think the general consensus will be that no one's going to buy these at the old prices because I mean that's just. I mean, why are we paying the same prices as the cards that are about to be opened? It's actually pretty interesting because I'm looking at some of these cards that you see as an increase that were uh, Modern Masters 2015. So uh, Fulminator Mage, Mox Opal, Daybreak Coronet. They were initially listed at about 10 bucks lower than uh, the original printing and have since then been increased in price, uh, in pre-order price to close the gap to about $5. So I, I don't know what this says, like, has confidence in this set gone down? They don't expect as many to be opened. Uh, I don't know, but originally the prices were a lot lower, and pre-sale right. prices have increased slightly for some of these cards. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely right, Richard. Yeah, I'm looking at them as well. Um, interesting. It's going to be interesting. Um, I wouldn't, you know, I'm not going to, urge people to go in on these pre-order prices. So, I don't know. Yeah, it's actually pretty interesting to get the pre-sale prices because unlike a standard set where there's value to being the first play, you know, the first person to play this card, you know, I want this card from an FNM deck, I want to play it tonight, so people will pre-order cards. Uh, all these cards are available now, right? And 
Right. You know, these cards don't have new art or anything, so well, most of them don't have new art. So there, there is really no reason to pre-order any of these cards. You can just buy the original version or just wait for the price to drop. So. Exactly, and that's yeah, exactly. It's a lot different than a regular set where you know they're hyped up, they want to play with the new cards. I mean, these are already in the market. There's new ones about to enter the market, and they're just looking for the cheapest price <laughs> rather than you know getting them right away. Yeah. Um, final thoughts on trending stuff, uh, Seth. Standard is you know pretty. There was a huge spike in uh, collected company. Um. Yeah, and some of the fetches, which is kind of, you know, normal thought sees holding a solid price, and Eidolon, um, you know, holding a solid price as well. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's basically what's hot at the moment in Standard. The, the You can see the top three cards for the week are the Collected Company, Death Mist, and Protector, which is basically like the foundation of some really popular decks at the moment. The rest of the cards, I think, are just normal fluctuations or small percentage gains, couple percent right. here or there. So I think the big takeaway is those green cards are really good, and they're not looking like they're going away anytime soon. Yep, absolutely right. Okay, so Narset was our big loser going down $2, but she's still <laughs> holding $22 for a card that's, like, not played at all. Where do you think she'll end up? Um... She could dip under 20, but I think just, like, the wow, like, this could be good. Like, it's it's four mana, so it could be modern playable. Uh, it's kind of like Brimaz, where he kind of just held that price, like, forever. Um, I think Narset could, could hold at, like, the low 20s, very high teens, like, for basically her the entire time while she's in state. Uh, you know, being opened. The the other side of that, though, is that Soren Solemn Visitor is like eight bucks, and that is played in modern and in standard. Yeah, interesting. So uh, I don't think falling I, to like 15 or below is out of the question. I'm not saying that will happen, but I think it could. Yeah, it, yeah, definitely could. Under 20, um, yeah, it could definitely happen. Uh, so that about wraps things up, doesn't it? I think so. Yeah. Yep. All right, so we covered everything, and um, it was great to have you back, Richard. We covered a lot of stuff, and um, the entire crew will be here next time. And uh, thanks, everyone, for joining us here again on the MTG Goldfish Podcast. This is the crew signing out.